The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry with Joe McGill. Good morning, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm Joe McGill and you're listening to the Saturday Supplement. I hope I find you well wherever you are listening to us around the world on RadioCarry.ie or on the traditional wireless 96 to 98 FM. Another glorious morning here in the kingdom, although it is spitting is how I describe it, a bit of rain, but that seems to be clearing off. So if you are wiping the sleep from your eyes, you're looking forward to a very bright day ahead. And uh, Mayo are in town. So if you're down early, Mayo people, you're very welcome. I hope that he'll go away a bit sadder though than he came in, uh, just from a personal point of view. And uh, best to look to the Kerry team today. And I have my Kerry jersey on just for you, I suppose, at home. They can't see me, which is the, the joy of radio, that you can't see me. But I'll be letting you know that I am wearing the, the Kerry jersey. We have a very busy programme lined up for you, so I will get to it. But if you want to get in touch with me, 66 712 6 You can text the WhatsApp 083 300 I'm on social media and all those good things as well. Joe McGill, one-to-one. Now, on the Saturday supplement this morning, we'll speak to members of the Kingdom Veteran Vintage and Classic Car Club, who this year will be celebrating the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Climb, a race won by Charles Rolls. That name might be familiar now in a few seconds. In 1903, right here in Kerry, three years later, he set up Rolls Rice. It is said he first met Henry Rice at this race. And uh, they will have their 44th Ring of Kerry incorporating PJ O'Reardon Remembrance Run this year. PJ was in here the last time as well. We'll have our third episode of Blossom of Kerry where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. And in this episode we hear from Richie and Jackie Green, a husband and wife team who runs Skellig Jam in Bannel Skelligs and uh, we had some lovely jam there I have to say and they have a new ketchup up now as well. We'll also have our speaking of poetry with Bernadette Nierida and we'll be uh, featuring Patrick Podrick I should say because that's very important he changed his name from Patrick to Podrick uh, Podrick Column and there's a few poems in there that if you um, I suppose ever stood up in front of a class and had to recite poetry you probably recited one of them now but firstly the Kingdom Veteran Vintage and Classic Car Club will be celebrating the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Club a race won like I said by Charles Rolls in 1903 right here in Kerry now, they will also have their 44th Ring of Kerry incorporating the PJ O'Reardon Remembrance run this year. And I'm surrounded by a lot of uh, members of the club in studio. We have uh, Martina Molno, although I don't know if she's going to speak to me at all, but we'll find out about that later on. We also have Garrett Foley. Um, we have Francie Cantlin. We have Willie McElligot, who's the chairman. We have Donald O'Sullivan, historian, and uh, has wrote a great book, actually, which we'll talk about later on. And uh, we'll be joined later on by Kevin uh, Hearn and Alan uh, T. Fitzell 
and I know I'm forgetting one person and we also have Chris Foley. Is that all of you I think it is? It is. Yeah, you're, you're, you're all very welcome. How are you this morning? Good. Very well, thank you. I'd imagine, though, the roads of Kerry must have looked fairly impressive this morning. You probably all came in your vintage cars and you, you, you were looking uh, splendid in the, in the sunlight. Um, Gareth, you've a lot of events taking place this year and it's kind of a very special um, year for you. Let us know what's, what's kind of taking place for us before we go into more detail. Good morning, John. Thanks for having us this morning. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, events this year. The last couple of years, even during COVID, we managed to, to run a lot of events. We had our first event in April. That was my cars and coffee down the wetlands. We had about 50 cars. It was a great turnout. Um, Johnny Callan run is on the 3rd of September. That's not always a great run down around Killarden. Next Sunday, we have our first road run, which is a new member to the club, Ray Corkery. He takes all our photographs for us. Fantastic guy starting in the Red Fox. So we're looking forward to that run next Sunday as in Sunday tomorrow week we have the 44th Ring of Kerry it's the 44th time that we've done it the Ring of Kerry we even managed to do it during Covid and it's also PJ O'Reardon's Remembrance Weekend PJ was founding member chairman and president of the club uh, who sadly passed away during Covid we miss him immensely in the club so we just wanted to take this opportunity to remember him because we couldn't do so during Covid uh, we have a Cars and Coffee on the 25th of June uh, with the, we refer to them affectionately as the North Kerry Mafia uh, Mike Maloney um, and company uh, they organise a great Cars and Coffee usually out around the Listowel area and of course we have the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Climb an important event for Kerry and an important event for our club as we put a monument up there 30 years ago to um, mark the occasion we have the Secretary Scramble, which is my own event on the 27th of August. We'll go down around your own part of the country, please God. And that's just a good fun day out for members. And we have a Cars and Coffee done by the Chairman, uh, scheduled for the 24th of September. Another good day out, the Cars and Coffee are well um, supported by members and non-members alike. We then have our Autumn Run in Kinmare on the 13th and 14th of October. Another great event about 100, 120 cars from all over the country will come down to Kinmare to, partic- uh, to participate in that event. And then our last event is the uh, Cars and Coffee uh, by club member Tony Darmody on the 22nd of October. Yeah. Um, before I forget it, I just want to congratulate you and thank you for what you do because I think it's important. It is part of our heritage here to be preserving it and I think that's so, so important. We're talking about vehicles as well. We said it last time, they'll probably outlive us, which is amazing to think uh, um, as well. But what colour and, you know, uh, festivity it brings to the county when you travel around. When you mention the numbers there, visually what that looks like is just so um, impressive. Now, let's talk to Francie Cantillon, club president. Um, Francie, you would have known the late PJ very well, uh, yeah. a great man. A mighty man altogether. Mm. Very positive. And I think he got into his head, he got it done. Yeah. So, you, we miss him a fright. He's mm. a great man. Um, the start off of our club was the Rose of Tralee. The parade and the Rose of Tralee, the old cars that used to come from all over to parade the roses. So, myself and PJ was talking about it. There was very little from Kerry. So, PJ was a salesman a travelled salesman and he got to know all the characters around and he knew what all the stuff was but uh, the first car that PJ bought was up in Sligo and 
we flew with two little planes up to Strand Hill, <laughs> landed in the we way to time it that the, the, the sea was out to land in Strand Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and we were picked up there by the guy we were t- to meet. And he took us to the, I think it was an old castle, but he had eight or nine cars there. But we delayed a little bit anyway, and we were late to take off again, we had to wait till the tide went back out. <laughs> so I started in the morning at seven o'clock. Yeah. And it was ten o'clock that night when I got home. Mm-hmm. But in, in Sligo, it was a good Friday, and it was a good Friday. Every place was closed, not even a drink of water to be got. <laughs> but uh, I had some, some experience. But PJ bought a car there anyway, a Daimler. Yeah. And we went to collect it two or three weeks after. And uh, we weren't out too long on the road when it started to fail. <laughs> the clutch started slipping with the fluid clutch that was in it. But we came into Boyle anyway, and there's a bit of a hill inside in Boyle, and we wouldn't go up the hill. So PJ had to get out. I was driving, and PJ had to start pushing. And a few of the fellas came out at the pub, and gave us a hand to push it up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> we came along further and we got a petrol station that was open and I got a pint of oil and I put it into the flywheel. It was a fluid flywheel. Yeah. And we came home flying after that. <laughs> but uh, it was a good Friday. That evening, a drink of water. It was a good start. Um, oh, lovely memories there. And uh, it's great. We'll be talking about PJ as, we, as we go on. Yeah, Francis? Another thing about, funny thing about PJ as yeah. well. Uh, we were doing the ringy carry and we were going into Carsevine. Um oh, I can't think of the name of the place. But um, we had some great characters in at that time. We yeah. had musicians of all. We had Jimmy Bone with his saxophone. Um, Paddy Fienerty with his accordion. Uh, there was a fellow with a uh, a violin there and uh, there was seven or eight musicians but we stopped anyway and started playing and uh, they were dancing around the road <laughs> and this fellow comes along a farmer comes along with his horse and car and a hay car and a whiny hay inside in the car and he making awful noise to get out of his way that he was in a hurry yeah. one of the women jumped up and caught him and kept him out dancing <laughs> and an hour after we were packing up to come home and uh, Oh, he said, sure, he'll hold on for another one. One other dance anyway, he said. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some mighty stories. And, yeah, and it sounds like it's the people involved as well as the oh, vehicles yeah. that are oh, the important yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, we're also joined by Willie McElligot, uh, chairman. Um, there's a lot of history in this club, Willie, in there. <clears throat> Miss Joe, uh, now I'm chairman with only since the start of the year. Mm. So I'm You're wet behind the ears yet? Uh, I'm a member with close than 20 years. Yeah. which is still fairly new compared to the club itself because the yeah. club is 44 years yeah. set up in 79 now Frances you just mentioned Frances was one of the, the founder members so was PJ obviously you know I PJ was is a great loss to the club because he was there always but another man who was a founder member of the club was uh, Miles Foley mm. and Miles is sadly not with us now but his two sons are here today oh, Garrett the yeah. secretary and Chris 
Yeah. Away, man. So it's great to see that tradition carried on in the family. Yeah, it's amazing. It's kind of a generational thing then as well, yeah. It seems to be, yes, that if, uh, you know, especially if a parent is interested in the cars, especially when children are young, yeah. they'll get interested and they'll bring it with him. Yeah. And what I've noticed, even though the man alongside me is an exception to the rule, mostly people like the cars that they knew when they were growing up. So we'll say, I'm into 60s cars. Yeah. Some people would be into 50s. Most people in their 40s would be into maybe 90s, 80s and 90s cars because, you know, the golfs, yeah. the escorts and that, that's what they knew growing up. But Alan here, who is a very young man, is into 50s car. <laughs> yes. yes. 1950s Anglia. Alan was around before, so... I think he was around. <laughs> I, think, I think he was re, uh, <laughs> reincarnated at some stage. Yeah. But again, now it is great to see the younger generation taking an interest. Yeah. What classifies uh, as vintage? I've asked this before, uh, but for people at home. Vintage is actually... Um, what you call it um, antique is the first yeah which is up to 1903 yeah after that then you have uh, uh, your veteran yeah which is next yeah then after that you have vintage mm -hmm. you have post vintage okay which brings us up to 1945 okay so actually any vintage car should be pre-1945 but most people call a vintage car anything over 30 years yes so anything over 30 years then is a classic okay that's, oh, that's, that's the, the classic. That's okay, the classic. I get you. But that would be anything over 30 years. So we'll say this year, anything in 93 <laughs> yeah. is a classic. Next year, anything up to 94 will be a classic. It's yeah. rolling. Yeah, it's it is rolling. It's rolling. Yeah. All the others are a fixed. All the others are fixed. Yeah, fixed yeah. timeline. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I was wondering that. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. We'll talk more about the club as we go on. And we're going to be delving back 120 years with Donald O'Sullivan very shortly about this famous Ballyfinan hill climb. And... Uh, Mr. Rolls went there and uh, that led, if you believe the stories, if that led to Rolls-Royce. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll have more after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. That's what you listen to. 0667123666 for your calls. You can text WhatsApp 0833033300. We're talking to members of the Kingdom Veteran Vintage and Classic Car Club, and they will be celebrating the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Climb, along with other events taking place this year. But let's talk about the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Club. We have uh, Don Law Sullivan with us, retired Chief of Super Superintendent Lee, author of Depot, A History of Angarda Shikana, a history uh, historian and local expert on the Ballyfinan hill climb. So tell us all about it and how did Rolls come into this wonderful story? <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it all started, of course, in 1903 with the garden being at week. And um, the last event in that was uh, the hill climb at Ballyfinan. How I came in contact with it was in 1967, I was stationed in Carlow. I was chairman of the Carlow Car Club. And with the, the car club and other interested members, we got a rerun of the garden beneath off the ground. And it proved to be very, very popular. Un uh, unbelievable the number of cars which came from e the UK, especially take part, and a few came from the continent as well. And um, we knew that Charles Stewart Rolls was there but he was not competing. And the reason he wasn't competing was that he crashed the previous year in the, um, in the, in the race which qualified for the, the, the Garden Binet. Uh, that race in 1902, it had taken place between Paris and Vienna, straight road, 
no roads blocked or anything but to take a chance oh. and it was won by an English fella named Edge who uh, actually finished on his own and no other car finished because an Englishman won it England then had to uh, look after the race the following year and there's no way that the English people if they got away would allow it because the Harsey people came first and had the greatest say yeah. but anyhow the British uh, uh, government did pass an act authorizing motor racing in Ireland for uh, two weeks. That's how. That's in fact how they got over it. Then, um, as I said, the, the, that race, the 1903, that was won by a fellow named Ginazzi. He was a, a Belgian fellow, and he was driving a Mercedes, a Mercedes car, which he'd only got the loan of for the race, but he, but he right. was the actual winner. Then. Um, in, in material which I saw about the whole Garden Binney thing, I saw where a hill climb was taking place in County Kerry. And when I came to Kerry in 83, this hill climb became a sort of an obsession with me. Everybody I knew had, who had an interest in cars, I inquired of them. No, nobody heard it. There wasn't a clue that ever was good, bad, or indifferent. I didn't know what the location was. So one day, very determined, I said, I'm going to the library and spend in the day at the newspapers until I find out. And I found out the, the notice uh, for the closing of the roads. I knew it was on the winner then yeah. and the location of it, uh, where it was held. The permission was given and the permission actually authorised a much longer uh, hill climb and uh, going on to the next crossroads. But on the day they decided there was a bad quiver there where where it ended. They were afraid in case a car turned over there so they didn't run the full distance. Uh-huh. But anyhow, uh, at at the, the end of the garden being at Fortnite, uh, 12 cars came down. More more were expected, but I'd say after the tiring week or two they had, I said they found the journey a bit long. Mm-hmm. But there was no stopping more, uh, stopping Charles Stewart Rolls. He arrived with a big mowers, M-O-R-S, 80 horsepower a French yoke and um, with that he was a clear winner there were several runs there were handicap system that's how they ran it but uh, there was no beating more as he came out and top. and I figured that the car that he was driving that year would probably be much nearer to the steam engine on the trolley dingle railway line than what a motor car looks now with big chains and all that. Yeah. He also had weights in the back of the car to keep the tail of it down. But he, he did it, the, the hill climb, I think, about 41 miles now, which wasn't bad considering that was uphill. Yeah. And um, the, the prize for that was the Kingdom County Cup. This was a co- uh, trophy that was put up by Kerry County Council. Uh, it cost 30 guineas. It was a magnificent trophy. It was on display in Switzerland's window in Dublin for weeks before it even came off with a light shining on it. It was such a magnificent thing. Anyway, he took the, the, the cup away. And um, it, it is unbelievable now looking back our county council that was only three years in existence. Yeah. How we could have the foresight yeah. to buy a valuable cup for a motor race when there probably were only about maybe 10 or 20 cars in the county at the time but 
<coughs> they recognised it, yeah. They recognised there was something in it, yeah. Yeah, obviously, they had seen the tourist side of things. Mm-hmm. And you see, two years before that, there was a tour done of Ireland, started in Dublin, came down country, stayed here, the Gapadon Low and all the rest of it. So there was a bit of knowledge about these cars, what they could do, and the attraction which there was. Yeah. And and then, how did Rolls and Rice uh, meet? Did this, did, did yeah. this happen at it? Well, no, I, 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 I personally believe that, that they certainly didn't meet there because it was about two years afterwards when some fella convinced Rolls to go to Manchester with him where there was a little man in a workshop in Cook Street in Manchester making cars and the cars were very good. Uh, Rolls went with him two Rice's saw the cars was very impressed at that time Rice was only making a 10 horsepower model followed after a while by a, a, a 3 cylinder 15 horsepower but Rolls kept saying no up the standard up the standard and the next thing was they arrived at the Silver Ghost and that was completed within, within a couple of years they formed the company then Rolls Rice and the bargain was Rice build the cars, roll, sell the cars. Up to then, Rolls had an agency for two uh, for two French cars which he, which he was selling. And uh, this, the Rolls-Rice Silver Ghost took off straight away and that was it. As soon as, as Rolls had got the sales thing off the ground, his interest got into ballooning. And he had some queer escapes with the balloon. He entered a race in Paris, in, in France to race a mo- against a motor car. But instead of landing in France, he landed in Norfolk in England about a day and a half afterwards. <laughs> so that competition didn't last too long. Yeah. Then the next thing they came along in 1908 with the Wright brothers who built the aeroplane and uh, they came to demonstrate it in France. Rolls went to see it he became obsessed about it and he didn't get a, a, a plane. He built a little glider first so that he could learn to fly and all that type of thing. But um, then he, he got in the airplane and the first show with the airplane was to fly from that southeastern corner of England across the channel. Mm. And he had people planted at the other side of the channel to, to time him how long it took. He, he did the... He, he did the two laps and he was time for that and of course nobody ever set that kind of record before but unfortunately in 1910 he went to a very simple uh, little uh, you call it I suppose a carnival in Bournemouth and um, uh, he he flew his plane uh, and the whole thing was to land in, in, in the centre of a circle he, he, he did the job okay, but he wasn't satisfied, and up he went again. And within about 80 to 100 feet from the ground, the, the frame broke and the plane crashed, and he was killed. Oh, and that was the end of him. That was yeah. the end of him. Yeah. Donald, I could listen to you all morning because you're a wealth of knowledge and you're well able to tell it as well. Uh, but we're, 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 we're out of time about that, that section. You'd forget as well, Rolls-Royce, the, the, yeah. the airplane engines as well, they're famous for as well. Um, we're going to get more history. We're going to have Kevin Hearn, who's on the phone from Dublin. We're going to be talking to him very shortly about their involvement. And they're the Irish veteran and vintage um, car club. So we're going to take a break with more after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. 
brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. I have the right to make decisions that matter to me. Decisions about my money, my property, where I live. Decisions about care and medical treatment. If I need formal supports. The new decision support service can help. And if I want to plan ahead. So that my wishes are always known and respected. I could do that too. The decision support service can help me and those close to me. To understand the options available. My decisions. My rights. To find out more, visit decisionsupportservice.ie. When boating, paddleboarding or jet skiing, you don't plan to have an accident. They happen. When they do, you need to be ready. This is Water Safety Ireland. Always wear a life jacket on water. Safety is one thing you can plan for. For advice, visit watersafety.ie. Better safe than sorry. Supported by the Government of Ireland. At Screwfix, we've got low prices to make you go wow. Like the Triton and Rich Electric Shower at just $73.95. And the Irwin Jackwood Saw for only $7.95. Get trade essentials at wow prices at screwfix.ie or in over 30 stores. Screwfix, the choice of champions. While stocks last, prices of at least 4th of June. Visit screwfix.ie for T's and C's, delivery charges and restrictions. Imagine a device so innovative, your Except cookies. <clears throat> there is a device so forward-thinking. Except uh, cookies. A device that is so modern. You Except cookies. Now imagine a technology where cookies don't get in the way of your advertising. Welcome to radio. Advertising that's cookie-free. Visit radiocentreireland.ie to see what radio can do for your product or brand. Behind the Chair is a monthly hair care slot on TalkAbout, brought to you in association with Emma Quirk Hair. This Monday, Emma will join Deirdre to give you lots of advice and tips on how to make the most of your crowning glory. So if you're constantly having a bad hair day or just passionate about great-looking hair, make an appointment this Monday at 2pm with Behind the Chair on TalkAbout, brought to you in association with EmmaQuirkHair.com. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Catherine O'Hearn and Belly Longford gets in touch. Good morning, Joe. That was a fascinating interview about cars, and that's in reference to Donald O'Sullivan there and brilliant information we got in relation to the Ballyfinan hill climb. And we're going to go more into history now because I'm delighted to say on the line we've Car- Kevin Hearn um, on the phone from Dublin. He's a member of Board of Directors of the Irish Veteran and Vintage Car Club, and he's the main event organiser of the IVVCC Brass Brigade Run coming to Kerry. And um, this is in partnership with um, the KVVCCC and I've explained what these means already so I don't have to go through them again and um, the Brass Brigade Kevin you're very welcome tell us about this what what is the Brass Brigade? Good morning Joe thanks for having me on the show uh, the Brass Brigade Rally is an event specifically for Brass era or rather veteran cars so pre-1919 uh, the IVVCC would have ran Brass Brigade rallies back in the 1980s <clears throat> and they would have died away and then they were um, brought back in 2014 by our then president of the club Shane Houlihan who ran them for many years um, in Dungarvan and they would have you know, built up over the years until and the, the, the biggest year we ever had was 2017 where we had just shy of 100 
pre-1919 cars. So it would have actually made it the largest brass uh, car event in the world second to London to Brighton, Whoa. which would attract kind of four to 500 cars. So it was an amazing spectacle in Ireland to have just shy of 100 uh, veteran cars parked outside Curramore House in 2017. And then I have uh, running been running the event since 2019. So this year being the uh, 120th anniversary of the uh, automobile fortnight, our club is uh, commemorating the 1903, the Gordon Bennett Cup race, which was the first event of the automobile fortnight. Yeah, and the Ballyfinan Hill Climb was the last event, um, and obviously there was other events in between. But very important, uh, we felt to, to commemorate it. And chatting um, over the past year with Garrett Foley from the the Kingdom Veteran Vintage Car Club, mm. it just dawned on me. I wonder could we run it in partnership? The Kingdom Club is affiliated to the IVVCC, so there is, there is a link bond there between us. So it's important to cement it and. Uh, uh, having chatted to Gareth we formulated a plan that we would run the, the Brass Brigade Rally from Tralee which is the first time the club has specifically run an event in County Kerry uh, possibly ever we have we have set foot in it uh, on different rallies over the years um, but very a uh, different event for us but important to commemorate it yeah it's amazing the Gordon Bennett so that was a series of events basically and uh, it culminated in the Ballyfinan kind of thing well, the, the Gordon Bennett uh, Cup race was, was only one event of the automobile fortnight of 1903. So it was the first one that was uh, July the 2nd was the Gordon Bennett Cup race. And then you had after that, um, the Saturday after that, you had the Phoenix Park Speed Trials. Um, then you had, the, it moved into the north of the country, you had the, the Henry Edmonds Trophy, which was in um, just outside Castle Wellen in County Down. There was a cloak sprint and a hill climb, and then the following weekend, then the over the weekend of the tenth and eleventh, you had the Carrigrohan Straight uh, Speed Trial in County Cork, and the Cove Motorboat Race, and that that was all part of the Automobile Fortnight. And then uh, at the very end, on the fifteenth of July, you had the hill climb in Ballyfinan. Mm. So it was a really, really uh, spectacular series of events. Um, over the, the the course of a fortnight in 1903, it was completely unheard of, obviously, in the country. Yeah. Who was Gordon Bennett? <clears throat> so Gordon Bennett was uh, an, a balloonist and he owned uh, newspapers and so on. So he was the guy that uh, would have promoted it. Mm. Um, and that's what the cup race is named after him. The, yeah. the, 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 the actual Gordon Bennett cup race itself, which was the first uh, of the automobile fortnight, is the most famous of all the events. Um, you know, it was um, it was won in 1902 by SF Edge on a Napier, and he came in, uh, come over in 1903 to compete in it. He was disqualified. Um, it was won uh, by the Belgian Camille Genazzi on a Mercedes. So the reason that it was won uh, by a British man, they wanted to hold the 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 person that won it in 1902. It was to be held in. Uh, their home country the following year but in 1903 motor racing was banned in England so that's it was chosen then to, to run it in Ireland yeah um, and then after that then it was obviously ran in Germany yeah and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just in relation to the 15th of July this is going to be some spectacle isn't it to see all these wonderful uh, hopefully, vehicles hopefully yeah. hopefully so yeah hopefully so uh, hopefully so um, we have uh, 
a reasonable number of entries um, already for it. Uh, there's a good, a, a keen interest, particularly just because it's 120 years, and and also it's it's quite special that it's 120 years to the actual day. You know, when you try to commemorate these events, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if the 15th of July was, you know, it just it just so happens that 120 years that it's on a Saturday that we can actually run the event on the actual day and drive up the hill on the actual day that the events happened 120 years ago. Yeah, well, it's going to be spectacular. It's brilliant as well that, um, you know, the two organisations are coming together. And I tell you, July in Kerry, no better place to be. So you'll be looking forward to that, I'd say, Kevin. Absolutely, yeah, really, really looking forward to it. I've enjoyed um, participating in rallies organised by the Kingdom Club for many years. And um, so really looking forward to to bringing uh, brass cars to Kerry in July. Brilliant. Well, Kevin, thanks a million for coming on. And uh, we look forward to welcoming you you all when you come. It's going to be some sight. Thanks very much, Joe. Looking forward to it. That's Kevin Hearn there, a member of the Board of Directors of the Irish Veteran and Vintage Car Club. And also in the KVVCC, there's Alan Tifus, your club youth officer. And I remember last time you were in, lads, you were saying how important this was and to involve um, youth in the club. So, Alan, you have a lot of work on your hands, do you? Or how is it going? Um, slowly, Bush. It's getting there. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hard to get uh, young lads to still join up with uh, lads with old things like old Ford Anglies and Morris Miners and this and that mm. you know yeah different um, different generation like yeah but um, I think uh, I think with uh, like we'll say hand-me-downs from the older stock give it to their uh, grandchildren and things like that and John uh, you know, cars get sold on people mm. you don't think it's in you but eventually it does you know it takes off like this uh, a sickness for an old car yeah. you know to look after and it's pride of having it and it goes from there then it just takes on mm. and it's like a tattoo maybe one's not enough then yeah yeah so, it's, it becomes an addiction an addiction yeah. yeah yeah definitely and with young people you know that are into their kind of fast and furious cars we'll say do yeah. they have the same kind of would they have the same kind of you know love for you know more vintage models say like is a car's if you're into cars, you're into cars, or is it a specific? You know? If you're into cars, you're into cars. Yeah. Um, all stuff always turns heads, and it's just kind of amazing to see these old cars still on the road. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of work, a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears. But you know, it's it's like I said, it's you you have to you have to you you get into it like yeah yeah. You know? Um, the you are planning a few different things in order to you know involve young, young people. Yeah. Cars and coffee. Tell us about that. What's Cars that? and coffee. It's just basically, uh, especially as you meet up, just yeah. have a, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and just talk amongst others. Yeah, that's basically it. Do you know, give your insight in your car and you chat to other people. And do you know if you have a problem, if you have a thing <clears throat> that's um, it's niggling in the car repair work or whatever. There's always someone more knowledge in the club that'll give you a helping hand. Yeah, do you know, no better lads in this group. Do you know, yeah. since my seven years now from uh, meeting Garrett and the rest of the lads, you know, practically a family. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And would you try and meet very often or? As much as we can. Yeah. Depending on whether and, you know, family things tie in and, you know, it's hard to get everyone together, but we try our best. Yeah. Um, Francie, PJ, um, I was just thinking there, uh, uh, as you're talking about the young people, like, this knowledge is handed down as well, as well as the cars. The knowledge has handed down. So PJ's knowledge, PJ's living on, um, you know, and the young people coming in, his knowledge has been passed to maybe Garrett, and Garrett is passing it on to someone else. So PJ's kind of living through you in that way. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Mighty, mighty knowledge of all the cars and where they were and, you know, where they came from and everything like that. Yeah, he was mighty. Yeah. And he was nicknamed... <laughs> the, um, general. the general, yeah. He was called the general. <laughs> the general. Yeah. That sums him up, so... Yeah. <laughs> he, knew, he knew everything about every... Yeah. And knew everyone. Yeah. He had a great, mighty memory. Mm. Yeah. And I'd say there's no need of Google in the in the club when you can kind of just ask someone else in the club oh, yeah, for an opinion. Yeah. Great information. Someone knows something anyway. Yeah. No matter what trouble you're in, someone knows how to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and just in relation to Alan, if people want to get involved, young people, wh- how can they make that approach or what do they do? Just uh, the club website and we have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the modern way of going about things. No, the Facebook page definitely. Yeah. It's just a message, or um, you know, contact me myself. Give a text. I have my own number. Uh, 083 485 6723. Very good. Um, like I said, basically, just uh, uh, like you have to join the club. Um, but I'd recommend people like you know to turn up these cars and coffee anyway if they do see it on Facebook page and just see how it goes and if it's your like and look join the membership yeah do you know and that, that goes for everyone young or old if you want to get involved Mighty and value yeah and do you need a car to be involved no no, no. so that's yeah that's brilliant yeah, yeah. If, you just, if you love cars like even if you have no vintage car and a modern car it's great to see it's great to see turnout and um, you know people kind of cheering on and yeah, I'd say, I'd say you wouldn't be long inside there, though, that you'd want a car. I'd say, yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's the thing. We're going to talk, you mentioned the website and all that. We will talk about that with Chris Foley, but we have to go to break, and after that, we'll be talking more with this wonderful gang here from the Kingdom Veteran Vintage and Classic Car Club. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly, Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. Yeah, that's what you're listening to. I hope you're enjoying our wonderful trip down memory lane. And we're talking about uh, this uh, wonderful events uh, that are being hosted by the Kingdom Veteran Vintage and Classic Car Club, who this year will be celebrating the 120th anniversary of the Ballyfinan Hill Climb, a race one, uh, a race that uh, Charles Rolls took part in in 1903, and also with the um, the 44th Ring of Kerry incorporating PJ O'Reardon, who we're remembering here um, this morning as well. Um, the website was mentioned there before the break and it's important now in the digital age we're in that someone is looking after that and social media and we have Chris Foley who's a member for over 20 years. Chris, um, I'd imagine this side of things is very important nowadays because that's how um, you know you're pre- that's how you preserve things as well. You're actually showing images of what you have and all that and the information and the history that was mentioned this morning. Thanks Joe, yeah. It is basically, um, it's to reach out to people really um, and give some information, archival footage and photographs and albums and updates of runs. Uh, the website is, I suppose it's it's out there for the last 10 years. It has an overhaul at the moment. We're going through an overhaul. And, um, I'm not alone in this. Martina Molyneux is a great help. The two of us do it together and um, we try to get out information to members and also um, keep them up to date on what's happening in the club. And in tandem with that then we have a Facebook page which is run by another club member Dave Curran who does a fantastic job on that so um, it gives it gives a broad range to everyone like we have people coming from Canada France and Brazil uh, commenting 
asking questions um, on our info page uh, what kind of cars and what kind of groups we have in Ireland and just information of what implications for tax and insurance and different things they're asking you know yeah. so we get a lot of we get a lot of feedback from around the world which is amazing you know yeah and uh, like Donald was mentioning the history there and you know maybe that it wasn't really documented at that time because he had some digging to do to find out this is a historic event that's taking place the 15th of July as well so it's important that you document it as well as it takes place very important that we document it and to get as much um, footage and photographs as we can you know because mm. a lot of that was lost through the years but we have a lot of it now up on the website if anyone wants to check it out there Come here to me, Gordon Bennett, we mentioned him a good few times, but you uh, you actually took pl- part in this, so t- tell us what did that, that involve? Yeah, uh, last year uh, I've been threatening with a, a friend of mine down in Cork, um, Connor Tuchel. Uh We took part in the Gordon Bennett last year up in Stradley in County Leash in a 1915 Model T, a brass Model T. So it was an experience in itself, Joe. Is it a race or are you just... Uh, it's, well, the top speed of the car was about 25 to 30 miles per hour. Right. But I'd nearly run that. You'd yeah. nearly run that, yeah. But with very little... My dreams. <laughs> very little brakes and no safety belts. It's, so that's where the frightening uh, part comes in. That's the frightening part, yeah. So, yeah, it was an experience. Uh, we had a great weekend, no, um So a big shout out to Connor down there in Cork. He's a member, but we did a, a Cork and Kerry team. Yeah. So we did okay, yeah. We yeah. there was about eighty cars took part. So it was it was a fantastic weekend. Yeah. yeah. Really enjoyed Someone it. Someone like you now that's mad into their cars and all that, that must be a memory of a lifetime, is it, to take Oh, cars? it's huge. I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't have uh, a huge knowledge on cars of that age. It's pre nineteen nineteen. Yeah. So it was fantastic to see all the cars all over from all over England and Europe and Ireland and cars that you wouldn't see out that often uh, take part. And just it's a just it's a different genre altogether. Yeah, yeah. So they're works of art to look at them yeah. as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're so impressive. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, geez, we're almost out of time. I better watch the clock. We've about two minutes. Gareth Foley, round up again. Tell us what all these all these wonderful events you have um, coming up this year, that, so people can put them in the diary. Okay. So next Sunday we have uh, tomorrow week we have Ray Corkery's uh, car run from the Red Fox, starting at ten o'clock. We have Johnny Callan's run on the third of September. We have the forty. Ford Ring of Kerry and PJ O'Reardon Remembrance Run uh, on the 9th and 10th of June in Kinmare. We have the 120th Banley Fanan Hill Climb on the 15th of July. We have the Secretary Scramble on the 27th of August. We have Cars and Coffee by the Chairman on the 24th of September. We have Cars and Coffee by Tony Darmody in October. And just before that, we have the Autumn Run in Kinmare on the 13th and 14th of October. Um, that's the events we're, we're looking forward to them we're looking forward to next week's one because it's, it's our very first uh, road run and he's a young member in the club so we're going to be delighted to support him Sunday week um, there was another thing you wanted to mention yes, there just I, before we I just want to mention yeah. that uh, our friends in Kerry Motor Club as well are running um, a kind of a speeds trial type event on the Sunday after us so there might be people from the, the rally fraternity that would be interested in that and we'd, we'd just like to wish them the best of luck on their, uh, on their event on Sunday we'll be doing our event on the day before so uh, a few of us I'm sure will attend and have a look at uh, what they have on offer on the day on the hill climb um, I'd also uh, I'd like to thank Joe as well here today for hosting us and putting up with us and he looked after us very well um, 
and I'd like to thank all our sponsors, uh, if I may, uh, in particular Garvey Supervalio, Irish Vincency Magazine, Colm Cronin as well. Um, um, uh, he has a, the Circle K shop in Castle Main and he's a sponsor for the Bally Finan Hill Climb. Um, and he's really looking after us. And when I approached him, he was very interested and enthusiastic about hosting us. So I'd like to thank Colm as well for hosting us in that day because it's hard to get a, a space where anywhere from 60 to 100 cars can park so thanks a million to Cullum um, I'd like to thank um, Kinmere Bay Hotel Ballygarry Hotel Rose Hotel Tralee um, the members and supporters and the club committee and Agri Auto Parts they're all great supporters of ours and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them very good. Well, we're out of time. And thanks a million, all of you, for uh, coming in. With Francie Cantlin, Club President, Willie McKelligot, we wish you the best of luck in your new term as uh, chairperson. And Donald O'Sullivan as well. What a fantastic historian to, to have in this morning. Kevin Hearn and uh, Alan uh, T. Fitzell. And we also had Chris Foley. And we had Martina Mulno there as well. Uh, she didn't uh, have time to come on, is it, Martina? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, thanks a million to all of you for uh, uh, coming on. It was an absolute pleasure having you in we wish you the best luck with again like sure. I said the, the important work sure. you're doing and also the wonderful Thanks. celebrations you'll have this year and it was great to remember PJ as well and he's, his family are in our thoughts as well this morning we're going to take a break for the news and I'll join you again in the next hour the Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly Hogan's Funeral Home Tralee The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry yeah, you're welcome along to the second hour and I hope you're enjoying the programme. Hi Joe, very interesting programme this morning. Always nice to see old vehicles in those vintage runs. Wishing your guests the very best with all their events throughout the year. And that comes in from Charles. Thanks a million for that, Charles. Later on, we're going to have our Speaking of Portrait with Bernadette Neurida. But first, we're going to continue with our Bloss of Kerry unique eight-part series where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. In this episode, we hear from Richie and Jackie Green, a husband and wife team who uh, formed Skellig Jam in Balance Skelligs. This radio series is a Maureen Nivahuna production, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. This is Bloss of Kerry, a unique eight-part series where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. Some of the most ancient of these trades goes back centuries, and in many of the family businesses we will profile are handed down from generation to generation. Our series aims to reveal the magnificent story and history associated with traditional family food businesses in Kerry. In this episode, we hear from Richie and Jackie Green, a husband and wife team who own Skellig Jam in Balance Skelligs. Jackie Green, Skellig Jam. Richie Green, Skellig Jam. We were living in Navan and we just fancied a change. And we, we saw a photograph of the house down below here in this layer. And we just said one weekend, we said, yeah, look, we'll get down, we'll have a look and see. Came down on a Saturday, viewed the house on a Sunday morning, wrote a cheque for the deposit, got back into the car and drove back. We'd never been here before. But best thing we ever did. Absolutely super. Best thing we ever did. 2000, I think it was. Yeah. Although both are from Dublin, they have lived in the beautiful Balanskelix for over 20 years. Richie's background is in production management in the woodwork industry. Jackie's background is in financial services and the hospitality industry. Richie comes from a family of chefs and has always had a love of all things cooking and food. As a child, he would watch his grandmother making jam and marmalade on the family farm in Wexford. Skellig Jam was set up in August 2020. So how did the business come about? 
Yeah, that was that was another funny one. I was I'd come back from London. I was working in I was running joinery shops in London, and I came back to run a place in Ballyfermot in Dublin. And I was renting a small cottage, and Jackie was running the B and B here in the house. And she rang me one day to say the girl that was making the jam for her, uh, she'd gotten a full time job and wouldn't be making the jam anymore. And of course, cocky me said, uh, "Shall you age you can make jam?" Little did I think. So anyway, I went out and started making jam for Jackie. And I was making it for the B&B on a small, just very small, just a couple of jars here and there. Then I think, did we go into Miller's then at that stage and then into Brown Shop? And that was it. It literally started from there. And then I think during lockdown, we just kind of sat down. And I had been away, give or take, probably the bounds of nine, ten years. And I was back weekends. And it, I just had had enough. Of it. Too much time on the road. And I just said, no, we'll give the jam a go and luckily during Covid Jackie wasn't running the B&B obviously it was closed due to Covid so then Jackie just said to me look I'll give you a hand we'll set it up and then you'll be sorted you'll have a job here and before we knew it then there was a job for Jackie and it, it just keeps mushrooming to be perfectly honest that's I can't say much more than that To put it simply Richie's job is to make the jam and Jackie's role is to sell it. Um, okay, well, I do the deliveries and I'm in charge of sales and marketing, um, which is bizarre because Richie's background would have been sales at one stage. Um, I wouldn't have been into sales at all. But I have to say, I really, really enjoy being out on the road. I love driving um, and I love meeting people and I love being my own boss. And I love the flexibility of being able to decide on my day. Literally, the morning when I get up, I can decide where I'm going to go or will I, will I go anywhere that day. So um, I do the accounts as well and all the bookkeeping, um, which at this stage I'm finding it a little bit tough so it's time to invest in an accountancy package it's getting a little bit too busy for me um, but yeah so all is good yeah, enjoying it Was it um, was there trepidation at the start when uh, Richie said in the old Egypt make jam there at the start and when you went and did it as a business then? Um, definitely because like that our backgrounds are very different we didn't have a background in the food industry um, and you know whereas a lot of people were telling us the jam was lovely Richie is a very confident person um, but not when it came to the jam De- totally lacking in confidence about what people like the jam was a good quality so finally now he does realise um, that yeah he's doing a good job at it um, the jam it's just going so well and we're getting busier and busier and busier and the feedback we're getting is just fabulous How does this compare Jackie to previous jobs you've had Oh, very, very different. Yeah, um, my background originally was in banking. So I worked at Bank of Ireland for 23 years in Dublin and here in Carisavine. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. But towards the end, it just wasn't for me anymore. And I just knew I wanted something different. So it was a very easy decision for me to leave the bank. Um, I hadn't a clue what I was going to do. Um, but like everything, Richie and I are quite spontaneous. So it just happened that it suited to open up the bed and breakfast. So I ran the bed and breakfast here for nine years. Um, again, really really enjoyable I loved it there's no way I would have stopped if it hadn't been for lockdown and Covid it was just something that when you stop you know you have time to look back on it and look back on you know the way we're thinking of you know heading plus we're getting older um, running a bed and breakfast anybody who does it it's a tough one um, you know very very physical job so I, I just needed something different and again when I started helping out originally it really was just to help him out for a little while um, but it just surprised me I just loved driving and I loved 
being on the road, I love meeting all the people in the shops. Um, and I actually find the whole retail industry fascinating. You know, before this, you'd go into the supermarket, you wouldn't think too much about what was happening behind the scenes. Whereas now I see, you know, there's a huge amount involved in it. And plus, I find everybody working in the shops, they're amazing people. They really are. So I really love calling into all the shops. Um, it's just very, very enjoyable. The process of making jam goes back centuries. Jam making goes back centuries and basically all it is is you're preserving the fruit that was the original idea of jam was just to preserve the fruit and they put sugar with it and that's that recipe hasn't changed I mean you can only make jam in one way realistically and you put jam or you put your your fruit and your sugar and it's it's as simple as that alright now then you've got your sugar free jams and all this that's a different kettle of fish altogether but your standard jam hasn't changed for centuries. I mean, you could go to Italy, you could go to France, you could go anywhere, and they still make it in exactly the same way. So how is Skellig jam made? Yeah, what we do is we take the we take the fruit out, and then we bring it in here. We're in the kitchen now, so what we do is we, we've three large pots. We start, we, we put three of them on, we fill them with fruit. We let the fruit kind of, we don't boil the fruit, we only heat the fruit. We let it kind of simmer down, we add the sugar and then we've got three pots on the go obviously the last one then will be the first one off and that one is is put through the filling machine then it's taken back it's washed and these two move up so it's just it's a cycle basically so it goes from there then into a small filling machine that we got with the help of leader and incidentally with the the cookers basically what you see here all came through a, a leader grant so we're absolutely delighted that kind of brought the, the filling machine the dishwasher the stainless steel tables the cookers absolutely chuffed with it so that's basically it and it goes from the filling machine into the capping machine now it's a very it's it, it's it sounds like it's nasa it's not they're, they're very basic machines they're not like something you'd see in oh, i don't know Falon or somewhere like that where they're filling thousands of jars an hour. We don't. We just keep it small. We probably make, oh, I don't know, 70, 80 jars at a go. And that's that's basically it. That's why I think that's I think that's why the flavour is so good. I'm not sure. It's working at the minute anyway. So we're quite happy. How does this process today compare with when you started out? What what way used to you do it when you started out? Well, the pots were an awful lot smaller. Well, now we would have been, at that time, I suppose, we would have been making, oh, I think, 16, 20 jars at a go. And, like, you, you probably would make, oh, God, if you were killing yourself, you might make 100 or you might make 120 in a day. Now we can make a hell of a lot more. So, number, I'm not 100% sure yet what we could actually do in a day, because even though we've been here three weeks, Every day seems to change. We, we get so much jam done that we have to stop and maybe pack up some stuff or does a delivery come and there's always something happening. So we really haven't had one single full day to say, right, we can do X number of jars in a day. We don't know, to be honest. And before you had the fancy filler in the capper, what way used you fill? I used to fill it with two jugs. One jug into the pot, which was the dirty one, into the clean jug to fill the jars. So you didn't spread the mess all over the place. Which incidentally my brother told me. And it just didn't make any sense to me. Why would you 
why would you wash two two jugs when you could just use one and make a mess? And he said, no, no, no. He said, no, it's too much mess here now. He said, two jugs and it'll be very clean. And you'd probably guess maybe one drop of jam dropping onto the counter. That was much, much better. Out here, we've a very large room. Describe what this room, uh, what happens in this room. This, this room is where we, we, we store all the jam and we also pack it here as well, you know, for going out to, because each shop... Like, we, we don't do what, what most people, most jam manufacturers will sell in, in sixes or twelves. We don't. We, we decided right at the offset, if, if somebody wanted to order 11 jars of strawberry and one jar of blackcurrant, well, fine, they can order they're going to order that. Like, we don't have, oh, no, you have to buy six. So basically what happens is Jackie would go out, she'd take the order, she'd drop the orders back, and we would literally pack them per shop here. So, and it just means Jackie can take them then and the shop is getting exactly what they want. They're not buying six blackcurrants when they only want two or they're not buying, you know, whatever it might be. They're buying exactly what they need to stock themselves for, for this month or whatever it might be. And that's the, that's the way it works out. So we keep the labels then for labelling the jars are, are there. Uh, there's a labelling machine to label the jars. At Skelly Jam, they take great care that only the finest ingredients are used in their products. Well, obviously, to, me, to make any good product, you need good ingredients. Now, we get ours from a, a fruit farm in in Cork. He, he comes, drops it off to us whenever we need it, and he's got a, a great selection of fruit. Um, just a super guy to deal with. Um, so, like I say, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's like everything. I mean, if you want to go and make an apple tart, you're not going to go and buy rotten apples. You're going to buy decent stuff to make a decent tart. That's So then it'll literally... We, we stock all the jars there. Like, we have them all laid out into each flavour. Unfortunately, in our wisdom, when I started, I was fortunate that I was living in a place where they had the most beautiful orchard, the most beautiful gardens. So there was fruit... There was an abundance of fruit. Hence, I ended up with pineapple and pear, and I ended up with rhubarb and apple, raspberry and apple. So I think we might start to cut them down a little bit because there's, there's too many. Now, having said that, we've discussed it loads of times, and every time we mention it, we kind of go, yeah, let's drop the pineapple. With that, within a week, you could be guaranteed you'll sell twice as much as you sold in the last month. So we go, okay, we'll keep that one. Yeah, let's get rid of raspberry and apple. And the same thing happened. So we're kind of, we're stuck because people like it and obviously you're not going to let people down. It's not a big deal to hold 50 or 60 jars here and just send it out whenever it's needed. So, And at Skellig Jam, they have a range of products to choose from. Raspberry, strawberry, mixed berry, blackberry, blackcurrant, uh, cherry, pineapple, rhubarb and ginger, Strawberry and rhubarb, rhubarb and apple, raspberry and apple, orange marmalade, whiskey marmalade, gooseberry, apricot, and then we have three sauces. We have mint sauce, apple sauce, and cranberry sauce. And soon, within, I would imagine, the next two to three weeks, we'll have tomato ketchup. We almost have it there. We've been talking about it for, oh God, maybe a year, year and a half. And I've been playing around with recipes. If you saw the amount of recipes I've written, thrown away, written, thrown away, written, made, and thrown the stuff away. Because it wasn't great. But now it's absolutely super. So we're just hoping just to get it refined. We get a label for it. And actually I'll show you the bottle that it'll be going into. Bottle is, it's a tall hexagon bottle, very light to jam bottles. So it'll be going into these bottles here.
the Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. You're listening to an episode of Bloss of Kerry, where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. In this episode, we hear from Richie and Jackie Green, a husband and wife team who own Skellig Jam and Balance Skelligs. All the products are beautifully packaged and very distinctive looking. So what was the inspiration for the presentation of the products? Um, hexagonal shape, just so that they stand out. Um, I just think it's very pretty looking. When we were deciding what jars to use, we definitely had it in our mind that we wanted the jam not just to be, you know, something that you had in your cupboard. We wanted it to be something that you'd like to give somebody as a present so that it looked good as well as tasting good as well. Um, the labels we wanted to reflect on Balanced Skellix because definitely um, our inspiration does come from Balanced Skellix. We love Balanced Skellix. We love the slow pace of life. We love the quality that we have here and we wanted to reflect that in the jam as well. So we were adamant that we wanted to show the sea and the mountains and just to give people an idea of what Balanced Skellix is all about and that's why we decided to put the mountains, the sea on the label. Um, and we're very happy with them and we've got fabulous feedback. Um, the other thing is we were really, we really wanted from the very beginning to include some Irish on the labels so um, Victor Beda was extremely helpful and he did all the translations for us and again we've got fabulous feedback you know especially in Balance Skelligs everywhere but over in Dingle as well I have to say we've got great feedback about having the Irish on the labels. So who are Skellig Jam's customers? Our customers are everybody because again we wanted the jam to be for everybody Um, I suppose at the, we probably thought a lot of our customers would be the older um, customer but in actual fact no <laughs> literally everybody loves jam and the kids kids love jam and the amount of people have said to us that their kids get you know a great um, they just love having a jam that's from Kerry you know and they love the fact that the Skelligs is on it and they really identify with it um, so yeah our jam is actually for everybody which we didn't think would be that way but it is is it in B&Bs or shops or restaurants or where? Okay, well, when we started out at first, our market was definitely just the shops. So it was all about getting it into the shops. Then slowly but surely, it ended up in like the food halls, the pantries. Um, and then from there, a lot of the holiday homes came on board as well. Um, we'd been in an awful lot of their welcome packs, which is actually lovely. And, you know, it's great for us because people arrive into the area, they get their welcome pack with the jam in it. And lo and behold, they're going to the local shop to buy some jam for themselves and to bring home for presents um, and again we found that an awful lot of people are buying our jam as a present for people and that's just lovely you know it just gives an extra aspect to the jam for us um, so at this stage we're literally the only place we're not really at the moment is hotels and that is the next thing that we're really interested in getting into is the hotels so hence um, we're on a fabulous program called the Artisan Market which is run out of the Fiery's Food Hub and that literally is just about ready to go which should open up the whole hotel market to us so we're very excited about that as well um, and also um, we've been approached by a few coffee shops around the country and um, we have DPD so it's very easy for us to send out um, you know a box or a couple of boxes of jams so so far um, we're in Wicklow we're in Wexford we're in Galway and it's going very very well so you know we're we don't mind who buys our jam <laughs> you don't have to just be in Cork or Kerry we're willing to sell the jam anywhere um, to anybody it's for everybody 
Yep. So um, we're in an awful lot of shops. We're in Super Value Centre, the Londis, all of the different ranges. And it, we're also in an awful lot of small independent shops, which I have to admit, I have a grow for them. And um, there's something lovely about the small independent shop. But we just got some fabulous news recently from Super Value. Um, they have given us the green light that we can now go into all of the Super Value shops in Cork. So we're very, very excited about that. And it's just fallen nicely time-wise because now with the new kitchen and the new premises, we're actually ready to scale up that we can actually do the numbers that we need there's no way we could have done the numbers needed while we were still in our own kitchen so it's um it's just fallen nicely time-wise so what are the future plans for skellig jam from like when we when we started i mean we had as i say we had the b&b and with two shops now we have over 100 shops in kerry kerry alone and soon to probably have i won't say something similar in cork because i i think I can't remember how many super values are in Cork. I think there might be 30 odd. I mean, that that alone would be enough for us. And obviously, like the the more we develop, then we're going to have to start taking people on, and we're going to take hoping to take a girl on probably beginning of April. I think that's around the time, and that'll give us even more scope. So, one person can make X. Two people can make an awful lot more than X, if you know what I mean. You'll make even more than one person. So you, you'd probably make two and a half times what one person will make. We hope. We hope. So it continue to grow? It will continue to grow. It's, it's The way I described it before, I said to somebody, I said, it just mushroomed. And the mushrooms are getting bigger. So, and we're quite happy. You know, it, it's getting bigger at a nice pace. It's not where you, you, you kind of had an idea, you woke up the following morning and all of a sudden this thing was huge. No, it's just, it's grown at its own pace and it's it's just absolutely lovely. In recent years, there has been a renewed focus on shopping local and Skellig Jam have benefited from this movement. If you remember, we set up towards the end of lockdown so there was very much a culture of support local. You know, we've all got to stick together. Um, so we were very, very lucky because when we approached the shops, it was literally cap in hand, explaining our story, how we just set up the jam business and, you know, would you be interested in stocking our product? And the shops were amazing. The, 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 nobody said no. Everybody was willing to take us. But we did feel at the end of it, when the whole COVID lockdown thing was over, um, you know, would it stay that way? Would people still want to support local? And I'm really happy to say more than ever people are supporting local. And, you know, even I remember um, the first time when we did our cranberry sauce, I was bringing it into Super Value and Dingle two days before Christmas. That's how late we were getting it into the shop. And I was just explaining to the guy in the shop, look, this is the cranberry sauce. You know, can we get it out on the shelf? And a customer overheard me. She didn't even know it was skellig jam. She knew nothing. She just said, did you say that that cranberry sauce is local? And I said, yeah, absolutely. It's made in balanced skellig. And she took six jars straight away. You know, people do just love the whole local thing. So it's brilliant. But again, it's made us realise how important local is as well. And we, we really do our best as well to support as much local products, you know, or activities, businesses as we can. What's the buzz like when you see your product uh, maybe on a shelf or someone's used it or, you know, you come across it? What's that like? It's fabulous. <laughs> and even still, you know, if I walk into a shop, you know, with my order book and as I approach the shelf, if I see a customer with their trolley, you know, taking the jam off the shelf, you just get that buzz. It's like being a child, you know, you just, it's so exciting to see somebody or, you know, the amount of people who I'll be there taking the stock on a shelf, they'll walk up to me to tell me their little story of how their kids love the jam or how they bring it up to their son 
living in Kildare or how they send it over to their relations in the States. It's, you know, it's just fabulous to hear all the stories. And it is. It's, it's lovely. It's very, very positive. And I suppose, you know, it's like when I was running the bed and breakfast, everybody was in great humour. They were on their holidays. Um, and it's the same with the jam. You know, it's a feel-good product. Um, it's not negative. <laughs> so um, we're very lucky with that. We're in a nice business. Um, Richie, explaining all this to me the, this evening, you must be very proud, are you, of the, of the business? Oh, very much so. I mean, very proud of the way Jackie has actually taken it, the sales and gone and just ran with it. I mean, I, like I always said to Jackie, I said, like, like I said to you, I'm a, I'm a joiner by trade. I mean, you could make the nicest tables in the world, but if you can't sell them, well, there's no point. So whereas that's where Jackie came in and she's, she's out selling it all the time. And it's, it's great for me to know that, because I can, I can see from here, like, the more we make... Well, obviously, the more Jackie is selling, so the more people are buying it. So it is, it's, it's fantastic. I'm really proud and very thankful of the help that we got from Udrasnagaltikta in the start, from Leader, South Kerry Development would be the most recent one. Got a lot of help from Musgraves through the Field Academy. And the artisan market has is, is just been fantastic. They, they, they're running it out of the, the whole Bover and Fireys, which is an f- absolutely fantastic setup. And now, anybody we've, we've dealt with, big or small, they've just been so helpful. And look, we wouldn't be here if, we, if, if they weren't there, you know? Where can you get more information if you want to find out more about Skelly Jam? Um, I suppose the easiest way is through Instagram or Facebook. Um, and all our contact details, our email address, um, and most of the things about our products you'll find on our social media pages. Yeah, and a big thank you to Richie and Jackie Green there of Skellig Jam. And we wish them all the best in the future. And thanks a million for welcoming me to your wonderful facility. Now, after the break, we're going to be having our Speaky of Poetry slot with Bernadette Nerida. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. Now it is the third Saturday of the month, so that means it's time for our Speaking of Poetry slot with Bernadette Nearida. Bernadette, how are you this morning? Great as always, I presume. <laughs> I am, thanks be to God, Joe. Um, nice to see that the summer is slowly making its way into us, so yeah, I've no complaints, thanks be to God. Brilliant. Um, you were not that Brendan Kennelly um, poetry we can kind of I as well want to uh, oh yeah. look I'm a big fan of Brendan Kennelly's and I was invited to do an afternoon to chair an afternoon poetry session in the Shanachie Writers and it was fabulous but I got in the, the Friday night show and I got in the the morning uh, Jimmy Dean was instrumental in getting together a documentary recorded which is lovely to watch but the whole thing I am a big fan of Brendan Kennelly I think you know that and mm. it was fabulous it was a beautiful weekend yeah Kate so was talking right to us about memory. it there yeah yeah, excellent. And now, uh, I suppose you always, for you at home now, if you're only genius, uh, you always, Bernadette, bring a poet that we talk about. And uh, it's, it's always it's always a challenge, I'd imagine, because, you know, there's only so many poets in the world, but you keep bringing out these wonderful poets. <laughs> so who have you, who have you chosen um, this morning? And why have you chosen this person? Yeah, that's the thing. Now, before I introduce the poet, uh, there's a man out there and I know he's listening so I have to give him credit and he, he he's a big fan of this poet and I am as well now and I'm sure a lot of people will be but this man's name is Colm Horan Horan and he's out there around Castlemaine and we meet once a week there's a core group in, in uh, Kilorglin in the library and thanks to James and Eileen for being so good to us but anyway Colm is a trade lee which is the Irish word for vet 
veterinary surgeon, Colm Horan, and sometimes, Joe, when he bombards us with a bit of wisdom, we call him the olive, which is the Irish word for professor. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he had been talking about part of the column, uh, and I kind of, you know, to be honest now, it wasn't someone that readily came to my head. But um, so between Colm Horan, the vet, and part of the column, the poet, I'm bound to get tongue-tied, but sure, look, I'll crack on anyway. So the, the poet's name is Padraig Colum. Very interesting man, in my opinion. And he was born, and we're going way back in time, he was born in 1881. And he was many things, Joe. He was a poet, playwright, novelist, children's writer, and all of that, but sticking with the poetry. Mm. So Padraig, as I said, was born in Longford in 1881, and he was actually born in a workhouse, but I need to clarify that very quickly. That's because his father... A Patrick Column was master of the Longford Workhouse. So that's how he came to be, you know, saying that someone was born in a workhouse can give a totally wrong impression. Yeah. So anyway, um, Podrick was very young and the father lost his job in the workhouse and Podrick's mother was Susan McCormick, I think, from Cavan. So um, Susan and the children moved back to, you know that saying, back to her own place, which yes. I presume her parents' place. And Padraig's father took off to America. This was now in around 1888. And I think the Colorado gold rush was in full swing. And I think he thought he'd make a fortune. Mm. And sadly, he didn't. But he came back to Ireland after about three years. And he moved his family to Dublin. And he got a job. And this is now the Pope's father. He got a job yeah. as a station master in the Stanley Cove railway station. So Padraig grew up in Dublin and went to the local, like the Glatzool National School. Mm. And then his mother sadly passed away. Padraig was only about 16 or 17. But the father and most of the children went back to Longford. Padraig and her brother stayed in Dublin. So when he was about 17, he got a job as a clerk in the Irish Railway Clearance House. Now, by the time he was 20, he had joined the, joined the Gaelic League and he changed his name. He was called after his father, which was Patrick, but he changed it to Padraig. So that's, mm. that's our Padraig column. So there's a poem called A Drover. And I think I'd read that one now because, you yeah. know, some of his poetry reminds me a bit of what the likes of Patrick Cavanagh would write. Very rural, and mm. I'm not saying all of it is like that, but this is called A Drover. Mm. To meet of the pastures from West Hills by the sea, to Leitrim and Longford go my cattle and me. I hear in the darkness their slipping and breathing. I name them the byways there to pass without heeding. Then the wet winding roads brown bogs with black water and my thoughts on white ships and the king of Spain's daughter. Oh, farmer, strong farmer, you can spend at the fair, but your face you must turn to your crops and your care. And soldiers, red soldiers, you've seen many lands, but you walk two by two and by captain's command. Oh, the smell of the beast, the wet wind in the morn, and the proud and hard earth never broken for corn. And the crowds at the fair, the herds loosened and blind, loud walks and dark faces and the wild blood behind. Oh, strong men with your best, I could strive breast to breast, I could quiet your herds with my words, with my words. I will bring you my kind, where there's grass to the knee, but you'll stink of scant croppings, harsh with salt of the sea. And there's just a word, if I could go back on there, kind, it's spelled K-I-N-E. Yeah. And it's an archaic word that's never used now, but it means for a herd of cattle. Okay. That. So... I, I get kind of a sense of, of what Kavanaugh might write in that kind of rural, yeah. you know. And there's some lovely lines in it, you know, the cattle, they're slipping and breathing. I can almost hear them bellowing as they're being driven. Yeah, forward, there's a musicality you know. to it as well, isn't there? There's there kind is, of a nice rhythm a lovely, to it, yeah. Yeah, there's a lovely rhythm and pattern to that. Mm. But, um, but anyway, when, as he lived in Dublin, uh, he, he got to know people, you know, the likes of Joyce and uh, Yates, Lady Gregory, George mm. Russell, and all of those. 
And so they would all have been, you know, that set that, that the Irish uh, Literary Revival, which we associate to, he would have been instrumental in that group as well. And he was writing by now, he was writing from a very young age, and he was also, you know, Arthur Griffiths of the 1916 Rising. Yeah. He had a paper going called The United Irishman. And um, so Padraig, he published a lot of Padraig's poems. And he was also a playwright, and he was on the board of the National Theatre, and I'd say instrumental in one of the groups that set up the, the Abbey Theatre. And I know some of his plays were staged in the Abbey, but look, as we're speaking about poetry, Padraig roots were, you know, Irish Catholic peasant life, and that's what he would describe it. And he did also said that his writings had a more truly national flavour than those who were from the Irish Protestant ascendancy. Now, that's his story, and not mine. Yeah. But that might have some bearing in, I think there was a play by John Millington Singh, the play by the Western world, and that caused fierce rights. And I'd say Yeats had encouraged Singh to write it, and Padraig and all that, they were his fierce rights over it because it depicted the Irish as a terrible, savage, mm. rude, cruel, which we aren't, of course. But anyway, so Yeats would have been, so I think himself and Yeats had a falling out over that. But look, that's way back then. But there's a, there's another poem that I think is is uh, worth reading, Joe, and it's called Crows of all things. Crows. Crows. Yeah. Crows. Yeah. <laughs> then suddenly I was aware indeed of what he said, and was revolving it. How in the night crows often take to wing, rising from off the treetops in Drumbar, and flying on. I pictured what he told. The crows that shake the night damp off their wings upon the stones out yonder in the fields the first live things that we see in the mornings the crows that march across the fields that sit upon the ash trees branches that fly home and crowd the elm tops over in Drumbar the crows we look on at all hours of light growing and full and going these black beings have another lifetime crows flying in the dark blackness in darkness flying Beings unseen except by eyes that are like to their own trespassers' eyes. And you, old man, with eyes so quick and sharp, who've told me of the crows, my fosterer. And you, old woman, upon whose lap I've lain when I was taken from my mother's lap. And you, young girl, with looks that have come down from forefathers. My kin, ye have another life. I've glimpsed it, I becoming trespasser, blackness in darkness flying like the crows I think that's a lovely there's yeah. lovely images in that yeah he's brilliant to paint you know, a picture isn't he yeah isn't he you mm. know there's one there kind of shaking the night you off their wings you know there's that kind of eerie feel about it and blackness and darkness you know the the, the black mm. crows and they're I think I think like it's just something you know there's lovely imagery that he has um, he has given us in his poetry and uh, just fabulous stuff I think and I know that he wrote reams and reams of, of, of not just poems but uh, stories and novels and plays and everything and uh, actually Joe he died in 1972 and by the time he passed away he had in excess of 60 books Whoa. published yeah. and that's some achievement it is yeah he know. was 90 years of age too one day. Yeah, he lived a long life Yeah, he did there again see poetry doesn't harm anyone John I tell you yeah, <laughs> I tell you, that's one thing we're taking from this anyway is the longevity of these <laughs> poets that they can knock out uh, big long lives um, just to mention like you know you're mentioning people like James Joyce W.B. Yeats Lady Gregory George Russell whoa yeah. like you know what a time yeah. <laughs> you know that he was hanging around with these people 
he was immersed in in that and the things that came out of that time, like you know the Abbey Theatre, the, the yeah. Irish Literary Revival, and he was a very very much an Irish. He said the Irishness comes through a lot. And uh, but getting back to his education, though. He was given, uh, now he had been to the Glatzul National School, and I think he went working then after that, but he was given, I should say, benefacted a five-year scholarship to UCD by a wealthy American, and his name was Thomas Kelly. Mm. So Kelly rings an Irish, a big Irish bell to me anyway. <laughs> so, mm. And this Thomas Kelly, he was passionate about Irish folklore and heritage. So he, you know, who, who better man to give it to than to Padre Cullum? And here in UCD, he met the lady who was to become his wife, Mary Maguire from Sligo, and she was also an author and literary critic. And this is only a couple of years after he, he and Mary got married, uh, they went to America, and I think that was in about 1914. I think Padraig the Pope had um, an aunt in Pittsburgh or somewhere. But they went, supposedly, for a visit, but sure, they, they ended up, America gripped them, I suppose, but... His visit to America, anyway, turned out to be much more rewarding than his father's visit back in 1888. Yeah. And he started writing uh, children's, you know, stories and books, and he secured a publishing contract with Macmillan. And the, the, the stories he was writing about were like folklore and legends of Ireland. Mm. And believe it or not, as a result of that, I suppose, when they were getting published, he was then commissioned to go to the Hawaiian Islands and again collect and write stories for young people of their folklore and legends, which was a huge, a huge achievement for him, I think, you know, it was brilliant. And I think when Barack Obama came to Ireland in 2011, the then Taoiseach and Kenny presented Barack Obama, which, they, now these would be the Hawaiian Islands stories, the first uh, edition, I think, of that. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, I think that, you know, that he, had, he had, you know, he had a huge kind of um, a full life. Yeah, and, and an eclectic the, mix of things. Like, I was lucky that I was going, Polynesian folklore, where did that come out of? Yeah. It's so, yeah, yeah. so unusual. So they saw, yeah, they saw his writings, you see, with the Irish, and they thought, they obviously saw he had, that he was someone that would capture their own folklore and, and stuff like that. But mm. um, there is, I'd say there's, there's another poem there that I'd love to yeah. read, and... It's called A Cradle Song, and I don't know, did I learn this years ago in school or something? But or in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how you learned it. <laughs> it's something, it's very gentle and it's beautiful, but I'll read this one now. In the very cradle. good, it'll bring you back to the cradle, so. Oh God, Joe. <laughs> oh, men from the fields come gently within, tread softly, softly, oh men coming in. Mavornin is going from me and from you, where Mary will fold him with mantle of blue. From reek of the smoke and cold of the floor, and the peering of things across the half door. O men of the fields, soft, softly come true. Mary puts round him her mantle of blue. That is so gentle, and I don't know that I learned that, but there is some very... Uh, um, yeah, Bernadette, before you go on, like... That I think I learned that in school, like way yeah, back. Yeah, not yeah. not not well, saying I, not saying I'm very very old. Like, but I, I, it was <laughs> it, it's definitely. I'd say that's nearly high infants. I, I don't know. I, I'm getting flashbacks here because the minute yeah. you started saying, yeah. it, I said, "Geez, that's very familiar." And yeah. then I was, "Oh yeah, that's that's the one we would have learned." Yeah, that's very yeah, famous, it isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It must have come down through the years because yeah. my school would go way further back than yours, and it's there's a familiarity about it. Now it's lovely and gentle, and you know. 
in the tradition I, I was reared in Joe, May was dedicated to the, uh, the month of Our Lady. And, yeah. you know, Mary puts around in her mantle of blue. Yes. So it's a nice, it's a soft, gentle little poem. And I can see someone rocking a cradle. I was about you know to say it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and swaying back and forth, yeah. Getting the child to sleep. Yeah. And if there's anyone coming in, they'd be told to hush. Yeah. You know, don't make a sound. He's just going off to sleep or something, you know. So, yeah. I don't know, Joe, about my cradle, but I know I came across this before and to the fright to God. It must have been maybe, maybe it came down through the through the generations in the little, the, you know, the first little poems were learned in school or something. So yeah, because that, that to me is like the Irish version of Rockabye Baby on the treetop kind of a thing, you know, it's like, an, you know, one of those. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. has that swaying yeah. kind of, you're right. Yeah, uh-huh. that's spot on. It has that swaying to and fro motion mm-hmm. that you would kind of go with, you know, if you were putting a baby to, to sleep or something, yeah. you know, but... Uh, it shows his skills as well with something so simple the way he did it, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, to go from that, like the crows and what he's written, and then this is... A, it's, like a, it's almost like a little prayer or something, isn't it? Yeah, you it know, is, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I suppose, the, 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 the it's, it's it, it, you know, uniquely Irish as well, talking about Mary as such a, you know, it's an Irish thing, isn't yes. it, the, the, the best yeah, version and of all this? Yeah, yeah is going for yeah. me and from you, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, it's a beauty. Yeah, so this is Patrick Cullum we're talking about uh, this morning with Bernadette Nureda, and we're going to be having more from Bernadette after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly, Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. Now, so you're listening to Speaking of Poetry with Bernadette Nureda, and the poet we are focusing on this morning is Patrick Cullum, a Longford uh, poet, editor, children's writer, folklorist and uh, playwright. And uh, he was the oldest of eight uh, siblings and uh, we're finding out all about him from Bernadette. Um, Bernadette, we've already heard three of his poems, but you are going to um, recite another one for us. I will. I have one there, but before I get to that one, mm-hmm. can I just say, Joe, that um, um, Paul, I was going to call him Patrick, uh, Padre was married by now, and uh, in 1930, uh, now they had gone to America in 19, I think it was 1914, but anyway, in 1930, he and his wife went to Paris. And a lot of the poets we talk about, Joe, they seem to take this trip to Paris. So there's something there's something in Paris. There's something in Paris. But my son, Bernadette and I are going to go to Paris for the next uh, Speaking of Poetry and we're going to do it live from the Eiffel Tower with our oh, coffee or maybe a glass of vino in hand. And yes. Yeah. Be and a beret. We'll have to get two berets. Oh, we will. And a string of garlic or something. But anyway, we'll do it anyway. Sure. And every other cliche we'll... that's out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But anyway, himself and his wife, they went off to Paris and now he had a long, li- long, a lifelong friendship with Joyce and they're acquainted with Joyce. And I'd say he prefaced, do you know, the likes of Finnegan's Wake or had some hand in. Now, not that he wrote them or anything like that, but anyway. So they stayed there for about three years and which and they came back to the USA but they were both teaching then in the University of Columbia his wife passed away sadly in 1957 now uh, they had no children mm. and he went on to finish a book which he and his wife had been working on called Our Friend James Joyce so that'll tell you that you know that there there had been um, a lifelong friendship there he did divide his time in later years between Ireland and the USA and he didn't, as you have already said, he was 90 when he passed away in mm. Connecticut, but he is buried in Ireland in Sutton. Oh. But I just, before I read this poem, um, he left, as you have already said, to, to a, such a rich legacy to the literary world or to anyone who reads or anything like that. And he had so many books, like over 60 books published. 
And there's one one quick thing before I read the the poem. Um, there's a, a well-known song called "She Moved Through the Fair," which is a song I love, mm. and he's credited with writing the words of that. But of course, there's controversy about that. So I know that Padraig Cullum himself wrote a letter to the Irish Times just a couple of years before he died in 1972, stating that it was he who wrote the words. And there was a man called Herbert Hughes who set it to music, I think, or someone else was claiming that was was. But anyway, he wrote that letter. He put that in writing, and it's a beautiful song she moved to the fair yeah Sinead O'Connor does a great version of it yes yeah yeah. and I think Joe you and I have said before that that's what a song is really it's a poem set to music yeah you know that's what it is Mm -hmm. but anyway this poem is called and this is one now that everyone will know anyone that was ever in Scorn and Oak Tops of the Parish and all those local kind of uh, stage things it's called Old Woman of the Roads and it's amazing how it's so relevant in today's society but anyway I'll read it now Oh, to have a little house, to own the hearth and stool and all, the heaped up sods against the fire, the pile of turf against the wall. To have a clock with weights and chains and pendulums swinging up and down, a dresser filled with shining delf, speckled and white and blue and brown. I could be busy all the day, clearing and sweeping hearth and floor and fixing on their shelf again my white and blue and speckled store. I could be quiet there at night, beside the fire and by myself, sure of a bed and loath to leave, the ticking clock and the shining delf. Och, but I'm weary of mist and dark and roads where there's never a house nor bush. And tired I am of bog and road and the crying wind and the lonesome hush. And I am praying to God on high, and I am praying him night and day for a little house, a house of my own, out of the winds and the rain's way. Isn't it? That's that one, and I think it's I, amazing. Uh, yeah. Bernadette, there was probably everyone in the county was saying that along with you. That's so well known, isn't it? And it's, it's, it, it's, is. it, it's, it, it kind of transports you back to um, a yes. rural Ireland that's gone now but a, 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 yeah. a, an Ireland of a bygone day so beautifully it is a beautiful poem I think and you know here we're talking about a poet born in 1881 and this poem and I think and I'm not going into the, the housing crisis which we have in Ireland for donkey's years but I think it's very relevant in mm. today's society yeah. that, you know that yearning for a little house of my own but I love some of the images again you know clearing and sweeping the hearth and floor and I could be quiet there at night beside the fire and by myself there's something beautiful about that Yeah. so I have to refer back now to Colm Horan the late and tell him <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the trade me and tell him that yeah, he's he's part of him. Actually, he was a master of, at what he did, you know. And uh, I know I just mentioned there about I I just love this one, old woman of the roads. And I think I'd say you're right. I think again, it's a bit like the cradle song. I'd say this is one people would be very familiar with, Joe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, it just shows the genius of him. Like you know, when he's describing, he could be quite there. He's reflecting about that he could be reflecting in a place as well it's just it's very yeah. clever the whole way it's done yeah. um, definitely yeah that, that, it, it, see, it's yeah. the name when you said the name I was like what's that now? and then the minute you started again I was like oh yeah sure we know that we know that inside yeah. out yeah. yeah and I'd, yeah. I'd say a lot of people would know that one in, and it's the way he set it out as well you know a dresser filled with shining delf and speckled white and blue and you know there was that uh, that pattern you'd see a lot years ago 
um, I can't think of the name of it now, but it had it was a blue and white pattern, you know. Um, you'd see it in a lot of dressers yes. long ago, yeah. and that kind of. And he paints a beautiful picture, you know. You could almost see the, the turf smoke rising up, and and him sitting there, kind of just nice and relaxed, and the crying wind and the lonesome hush. Yeah. You know, he has some beautiful images, you know, the clock and the pendulum and that. Yeah. Bernadette, we're out of time. We'll have to thank the vet. The vet uh, got yeah. you a good one there. So it'll be interesting to see what, what next person brings you um, another port, yeah. who, who brings exactly. you another port. Um, yeah. a, a wonderful one there as well. Patrick uh, Colm uh, Longford Port. And like uh, Bernadette said, died at the ripe old age of 90. There's something in the portrait. There's something in the portrait. Definitely. Let's see if to get into the portrait. It keeps us going. Yeah, it keeps us going is right and you keep us going here the third Saturday of every month Bernadette so thanks a million for coming on and telling us all about that and I look forward to, to next month already maybe we will be in the Eiffel Tower uh, oh. this time <laughs> next month that's it. Yeah. don't forget the garlic no. that's it I won't I won't the glass of, the glass of vino uh, Bernadette Neary there for speaking of poetry that's all we have time for this morning thanks, thanks a million so. to everyone thanks Bernadette thanks to everyone who tuned in my thanks to Abigail Bernard who was on sound I'll be back again um, Saturday two weeks Frank is on next week with his uh, walks program so very much looking forward to that and I'll join you in two weeks at nine o'clock and remember it is our in focus photography slot so send us in your photos jmcgill at radiocarry.ie and the theme is you are my sunshine what is your sunshine to you you can email your photos jmcgill at radiocarry.ie until then look after yourself and take care the Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly, Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee.